Mamas, this is Sarah Comers, owner of The Mom Culture, and I'm here with my good friends, Gina and Julie, and together we make up The Mom Culture crew. We're going to chat about how we wing it and win it in motherhood while trying to raise good humans. We're going to chat with some of our favorite mamas that inspire us, so grab a cup of coffee and enjoy the chat. Good morning. I'm here with my good friends and fellow Instagrammer, Emily, and she runs the amazing lifestyle brand Chasing McAllister's. And I've invited her on to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a sober mommy in mom culture today and just how she navigates that and how she spreads awareness and shares her story and her journey through her Instagram and her blog. So, Emily, are you there? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I feel really honored and grateful to be here with you and your amazing listeners. I am so I- excited. <laughs> Julie and I have been dying to to have you on and actually you put a question box on your Instagram. She's like, ask me anything. And I was like, will you be on my podcast? It was almost like, will you marry me? <laughs> and then you responded. You're like, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> I will do both of those things. I was so excited. I was like, I text Julie. I was like, Emily's in. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh my God. I love to talk. Of course I'm in. No, and I love you guys. Well, so we love you too. So for my audience that doesn't know about Chasing McAllister's and about you, you want to tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah. So I, um, Emily, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> No, my name is Emily. I live in Southern California in um, San Clemente, which is in South Orange County, a little beach town. And I have two daughters and a husband. And I work from home as a mommy blogger and freelance writer and a photographer and all the things that I don't have time for. Um, (laughs) And I actually began my blog, I think it was in 2014. And originally, honestly, it was just like this knee-jerk reaction to feeling so, it might have even been before 2014, but regardless, um, feeling so, like, disconnected from myself, like, in early motherhood, just feeling like I didn't have anything that was mine, and I really needed to reconnect to my creativity because I truly believe that, like, I think we're all creative. I think all people are creative in their own right, but, like, um, and, um, for me, that's where I like get filled up is to be creating. And so I started a blog and I, and it was like around the boom of Pinterest. And I was like, I'll do a DIY blog. And I started like doing all these projects, which I actually enjoyed the projects. But what I realized was, is that I did not like writing about the projects. I'm like, <laughs> I really don't want to write a step-by-step guide about how to like spray paint a chair. It just doesn't fill me up. And so I started just sharing more openly about like my motherhood truth and like the things that you weren't necessarily seeing on social media and the things that went on behind the scenes. And I had suffered with postpartum anxiety after I had my oldest. And then eventually um, I met, I never cared about my recovery on a public level because I just felt so, I wasn't ashamed that I was sober. I just didn't want it to feel like a burden for my children. Like I didn't want them to be judged. But what I realized was, not a burden it's a gift and um I was actually encouraged by a fellow blogger but we were just talking about Desiree from the perfect mom she we took a trip out to um Vegas and on the way out we shared our stories with each other and she really encouraged me to lean into my recovery story and share openly and I did I started sharing openly about 
being a sober mom and I'm also in recovery from an eating disorder. I mean, like all the things, all the ways that you can self-destruct, I should know. So, and so, um, and with that, I started to really connect on a deeper level with um, my blog readers and Instagram followers. And I think just because when you share authentically, people really react to that. And so, no, I agree. That's what I've been doing. And I'm, yeah, I'm continuing to do so and just kind of dig deeper and deeper so that, um, we can relate. There's just a really great power in relating to each other. I think you have one of my favorite relatable, like you're like the everyday mom. I love your feed because it is just so relatable. And I love like you embrace, you you embrace the hot messness, um, kind of much like myself. And I think that that resonates with our followers. But when you posted about being sober, I I had no clue. And I was like, Oh, like it, like I felt so much more connected to you and knowing that little tidbit. So, so it really touched me. Yeah. I think it's just so, like, everybody has a story, regardless of whether they're in a recovery or not. Like, everybody, there's always more than meets the eye. And I think um, when we, if you're comfortable or if you're willing to get vulnerable with people or you have a platform in which you want to get vulnerable with people, it does create connection because it humanizes people. And they're like, oh, like, maybe somebody looks at your feed and thinks one thing and then they find out, you know, another little tidbit about you like oh like that makes you like a human being (laughs) no totally I always say that people only see a little snippet in that square there's so much more that goes behind you know into it and behind it and what's really going on in someone's life you know so it's you're just seeing kind of what they want you to see or you know how much they want to share and that's why I really like the authenticity of your feed and I try to do the same in mine and share and be relatable because you do you're I mean that's why people love your brand and love you, I think, is you are definitely, it, and I've met you in person, and you are exactly who you are. And I'm I such a big geek. I love it. <laughs> I love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm like the biggest dork it. in public ever, and people meet me No, you're like... so fun. You have, the, <laughs> you have very fun, bright energy. I mean, we had so, we went to dinner. I know. And had so much, it was so fun. It was so fun. We I got to, like, like people watch. Want. <laughs> I, I know we need to do yeah, Palm we went, Springs we again. To, we do. We were we we went to an event that wasn't happening. Do you remember that? We went. Oh my gosh, we <laughs> yeah. were so overdressed. We <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up. That I was grossly overdressed in a day. And that was early. totally my fault. No, it, was, and it was it was Julie's fault. We misread the invite. And I was like, dude, I was like partied up. I did. Up. Too, I know. That's I right. We all were too. there, and we're like, um, why is no one else here? <laughs> we were the hottest women and at we a went no to, like, party. A sports bar. <laughs> so amazing I, we should post that picture because I, I have kept it walking yeah. into the I kept walking through the ace hotel like looking for it, and these people were like what are you doing like what are you doing they're like this blogger is lost <laughs> so funny <laughs> we, we have to get lost, lost in Palm Springs again together that was fun absolutely I'm always down to Palm Springs <laughs> so I have to ask so when did your like when did you start drinking or like, when did that become a thing for you? Because I know I can pinpoint when it became a thing for me. So I'm curious how old you were when it, like, you first I started. Mean, okay, so I can tell you when I started drinking. I mean, I feel like my beginning of my drinking career was pretty normal. I was in junior high. Yep. First, I mean, I feel like when you're young, you drink when it's accessible. It's not always accessible. But I do remember, it's so funny. I do remember the first time I ever got buzzed. And um, it's somebody, you know, I do 12-step meetings. And someone was like, I bet you can't remember your first hamburger, but you can remember your first drink. And I'm like, that is true. Don't remember my first hamburger. But um, I remember being at like a party at somebody's house 
and somebody had told me we were drinking Budweiser out of a can. I was like in seventh grade, and someone had told me like, once your teeth go numb, you know you're buzzed. And I kept like bunching my jaw together. I'm like, I can feel my teeth in my teeth, and like, and once it like hit where my teeth felt numb, I was like, I did it. I'm not like, you know, I'm oh my god. Right. And I was like, I yes, like I loved it. I felt immediately felt a sense of ease and um, belonging. I think I always just felt from a very young age that I was, I had a sense that I was like too much because I had a lot of energy, but then like not good enough. So too much and not enough all at the same time. And when I would drink, I immediately felt cooler and thinner and prettier and smarter and like, like I fit in, you know, and um, whether or not that was real or perceived, it did seem to act as a solution to like being socially uncomfortable, even though I when you would meet me, you wouldn't think I was socially uncomfortable, uncomfortable, but I was, you know, I was extremely uncomfortable. So I started drinking in like junior high and then in high school, just as much as I could get access to it. And I knew that it was something like I wanted to be doing, but I wanted to get drunk when I could. And I wanted to, um, and eventually it turned into like drug use as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, really pretty a normal start, but I guess the like, um, mental reaction to it was probably different than that of somebody who's not an alcoholic. Cause I, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to not be an alcoholic. <laughs> but for me, it was always like a solution to feel better. Oh, no, know? that that's me 100%. I, I remember my very first, like I had a sip of Budweiser and I had to have been honestly two and a half or three years old. And I actually remember it, it was my dad's. Oh my and then my mom, yeah, no, I, I like my parents were, I have unique parents. Let's just leave it at that. And then my mom, when she was yeah. dating my stepdad, I remember he would order her drinks. And I think she wanted to drink because she kind of thought like that was like the attractive thing to do with him, but she would slide them right. my way. And I was eight years old and I was like drinking fuzzy navels at eight years old at fancy restaurants. <laughs> And then that's not normal. No, no, not normal. And then I remember the first time I associated alcohol with that numbing and a fix it. I was, I think about 10, maybe 11. We had, uh, we were on a houseboat with my, um, he's now deceased, my ex-brother-in-law. He passed away from drug and alcohol abuse, but he um, held us up at gunpoint. And um, he was high as a kite that night. And I ran off the docked houseboat up onto this mountain, cut my legs up. You know, when they calmed everything down, they had to calm me down. I was hyperventilating. And my mom gave me a shot of Bacardi because we were on a houseboat in the middle of the desert with nothing but alcohol. And that's how she calmed my nerves. And I remember that feeling of, oh, like this is, I'm numb. It feels good. The panic is gone. So I associated it with that's kind of how you fixed those issues. Yeah. And it just continued down that way. Like, and I drank pretty religiously from 11, 12, all the way up, up until, you know, my twenties. But when you get to your twenties, people just kind of like, oh, it's normal. Like they're being young. They're sowing their wild oats, but the drinking definitely was not, was not normal. So did you like kind of have that? Did people kind of brush it off too, that you were just, Emily's just young? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I, I feel like I definitely probably flew under the radar in a lot of ways because you're in high school, people are drinking and doing stuff. And um, I was starting to like get into certain bits of trouble here and there, but also there was like stuff going on in my home where like my parents were starting to separate. My sister was off in college. Um, I think I, uh, I also was like, when I about like 14 years old I started uh, I became bulimic and I think the I think the focus was really like 
um, more on that, like, okay, what's going on with that? And I think, um, I think also because in your teens, like the access to alcohol isn't as readily available as in your 20s. In my 20s, I moved to Arizona and I moved to this little bar town called Prescott, Arizona with no intention of staying very long, but I ended up, I got in a relationship with, um, I worked at this bar and restaurant and I started dating a line cook who was like the local pot dealer. It was very convenient. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're going to date someone, date a drug dealer. No, right? but I, I did. And, and, um, and it's in Arizona where I really began. I mean, I guess I experienced different moments where like I hit different kinds of bottoms. But I just, you know, if you continue to go on, that's not your actual like bottom. You can hit a bottom and keep digging. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I, 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 it was really in Arizona where I truly um, bottomed out and was, and I was doing a lot of drugs. And when he and I broke up, we had been together about two and a half years, and I had found out he was cheating on me with my best friend. It was very traumatic, you know? And so it was like a license. I was like, license to go. Like, okay, game on. F you all. And I just kept, like, um, seeking lower companionship. You know, like, oh, yeah. these friends aren't as messed up as me. I got to find some new friends. You know, oh, the bar, okay, the people hang out after the bar. And I just kept doing like that. And it really, I think I flew under the radar until I did it, you know. And then I started to have, um, you know, I was heavily immersed in the bar scene. I was selling drugs so that I could do my own drugs. Like, I was a terrible drug dealer because I don't make a profit at all. <laughs> I'm like... I'm like, okay, if I break even, you know, just oh not gosh. next to that line of work. Yeah. And so I, at the very end of living in Prescott, like I would, um, I was dodging my landlord. I wasn't paying my bills. I didn't have electricity or water running anymore. Like literally making excuses like, oh, I don't need electricity. It's cool. I'll just climb like the daylight. Oh, oh I don't need water. I can just stay at my, the guy I'm hooking up with house. You know what I mean? Yeah. And at the end, it was like, I would come out of the bar and, um, because I was, you know, like selling coke in the bar just so that I could like do my own. And like the, I remember walking out of the bar and like one of the local police officers being like, hi, Emily. I'm like, heck, does this guy know my name? You know what I mean? Like just yeah. quirky things where you're like, oh, like I'm on your radar. Like that's not a good thing. You yeah. know what I mean? And, um, and at the very end of Arizona, I, um, I ended up, um, I did what all the tough guys do and I called my mom. <laughs> And I was, my mom was still in the Boston area. That's where I'm from originally. And I knew that my mom was in like a different 12-step program. And so I knew, I did not think I was an alcoholic. I was heavily in denial about, I knew I had an eating disorder. You know, it's very, very apparent that like normal people don't throw up their food. But I just didn't think I had, I just didn't think I was an alcoholic or drug addict because I kept surrounding myself with people who were like, quote unquote worse than I was you know what I mean oh I so do that I could continue to believe it yeah oh yeah and so I called my mom and I said I need help I'm an alcoholic I didn't believe it but I knew that she would fly me home if I said those words and um, I was just I mean I was like out of money and out of chances and out of I had been fired from my job bartending I couldn't hold that job anymore you know what I mean I just couldn't show up to my life and that was when um that was like a few months before I actually went into rehab and um, she flew me back to Boston, and I stayed with her like probably under a week because I was now coming off of drugs and alcohol, so I'm like detoxing in her home, and like I was a nightmare. I was 
probably very verbally abusive. I was, I, I mean, I was in bad shape. And she was just like, here is a CPAP. She is the public transportation in Boston. Um, this is all I'm going to give you. You are on your own. And I had, you know, I was like, technically, I never had to sleep on the street, but technically homeless, like couch hopping, getting people to put me up in hotels, manipulating men, you know what I mean? Doing the things you do to not sleep on the street, yeah. you know, eventually my friend's mom took me in um, and let me stay at her house. And my bottom that I hit before entering treatment um, in the summer of 2004 was she had been, my friend's mom had let me stay there. She was out of town. I was just rampantly um, in my eating disorder and was not really, um, I, just, I was writing bad checks. I didn't have any, I didn't have actually any, like any actual money, you know? So I was like just surviving on my resources and I really thought I just cannot go on like this anymore. And I was in her kitchen. I picked up a butcher knife. I was like, that's it. Like I'm done. And I just could, I didn't have the courage to like kill myself, which thank God. Yeah. No, but thank God. What a scary moment to be standing there holding a butcher knife to your wrist, unable to do it, you know, and also feeling like I am trapped. Like I can't kill myself, but I cannot live like this anymore. It was just a very defining moment. And, um, and I called my mom one more time and I was just like, if I don't get help, I'm going to die. And, and like, it's very dramatic, but it was true. And she was like, what are you saying? I'm like, I'm telling you that if I don't get help, I'm going to die. And I knew I was going to die either from eating disorder or I was going to die because I was going to go out and do a bunch of drugs. I mean, I just knew that it was coming to an end. Like I could feel it. And yeah. I, if I didn't have the courage to do it myself, like something was going to happen. And she, um, helped me get into a treatment facility actually back out in Arizona, which is so ironic to be flying back out That's there. like full circle. a couple circle. days later, I was on a, it was very full circle. I was on a flight back out to Wickenburg, Arizona, to a dual diagnosis facility that dealt with eating disorders and drugs and alcohol and all those things. And, um, and it definitely like, I mean, it saved my life. It took a, I, I didn't stay sober forever after that treatment but it did put the brakes on everything you know and I was able to dig in and do some very real deep work on myself during that time because I wasn't one of those there were kids there who could go to rehab over and over and over again and I was like we don't have money like this is it this is my one chance it's your one shot and I knew that yeah like my grandmother had passed away my mom used part of her inheritance to get me in like we didn't have I wasn't insured I mean it was very there was a lot of guilt attached to it for me. You know what I mean? Just all these, it was, but like it, it happened in such a divine way. Like I was meant to be there at that time. And so. And, and it helped you I do all that, that, the hard work. It did, you know, and I, it was so funny. I was, I'm telling you, like I was in such denial. I was so disillusioned as to like where I was. And like, even at that point, even as desperate as I was, I, I walked into the treatment facility June 30th, 2004 messed up like thinking I look good you know like thinking I'm pulling it off somehow and I walk in and I and I meet with the um psychiatrist of the facility and I'm like check it out I'm here now but I need to be out of here by August 4th because I'm going to go to reggae on the river and he just looked at me and started laughing and he's like you're not going to reggae on the river this summer yeah you're like no. I, I mean I didn't have a ticket or anything but I just had this idea like oh my, my god you're gonna go and like yeah I like literally just 
I'm telling them how it's going to be. And I mean, I ended up doing 47 days at that place. And uh, I was introduced to 12 step recovery at that place because um, it was like eating disorder centric, but they said, Oh, but if you're, and it was all women, it was like 16 women. We were in lockdown facility, all girls. But if you're an alcoholic, we go to two 12-step meetings a week outside of the facility. And I was like, me, me, I am, because I just wanted to go, like, meet some boys. <laughs> you know oh, my mean? God, so, Emily. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I was like, I'll just lie and say I'm an alcoholic, even though, like, I was full-blown, like, definition of, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I just had no, I just really thought an alcoholic was, like, the homeless man under the bridge with a brown, brown paper bag. No. And that I, was not me. I, you I'm, know what I mean? I'm with you. I you know, I've never been to a 12 step. I've never been to rehab. I kind of self took care of my issues and I, and I'm mindful of, you know, when they creep back up, but I, yeah, I didn't realize I had a problem because I'm the same way. I, I grew up in Long Beach and I, yeah. you know, I thought it was like the bum on the street or, you know, the, the other types of alcoholics, like my brother-in-law, I didn't realize I had a problem, but I was drinking every single day and I was drinking in the morning and I was drinking so in the afternoon and I was drinking at night and I was, I but you know, it was like I was young. So everyone's like, oh, Sarah's young. She's just having fun. But it was far more than just yes. having fun. And I think that's why it is important to put a voice to, um, like, people who don't look like a stereotype. Because, like, addiction does not discriminate against age, sex, race, sexual orientation. Like, it does not. Like, you have, um, you know, doctors who are in recovery or who are not, you know, but you have. judges teachers bombs i mean literally there is no criteria other than the reaction that you have to substance like the way i the way addiction has been defined to me is that it's a threefold disease that it's like a um, physical reaction to for so for me like once i start i'm like where's the next one you know like there's there's this like phenomenon of craving like okay like but is there more? Because, like, I don't want to stop right now. And then there's, like, that mental obsession, which goes with that, which is, like, um, that that feeling of, like, like I don't want to run out. I don't want to run out. And then there's, like, that spiritual malady. So, basically, like, there's a void I'm trying to fill. And it, whether it's, oh, I don't feel good about myself or, um, I don't know, or trauma that we're trying to heal. You know what I mean? There's just, like, this crazy difference in the way um an alcoholic or an addict processes substance than somebody who does who's not oh no 100 percent. i think the way i always say is like you know um and i i still drink now but i mean not anywhere i mean it's once in a blue moon or you know socially here right, and there. Right. it's not at all to the level it used to be but i always tell my husband like if it's in the house i will drink it so i am very mindful i don't buy it if we have a party it lingers and you bet your butt i'll probably drink it until it's gone um, totally. I always say that. And I think there's all different ways to do. There's all, I mean, I don't think there's one cookie cutter right way for, I know what's right, what works for me. Oh yeah, but exactly. I really have no idea what's best for anyone else. And and that's the thing is I always say like everybody, yeah. there's some people that definitely need, you know, programs and, you know, um, I know that I was trying to yeah. always like numb stuff from childhood trauma and issues. So that was my thing. But I'm like, you know, when you look at a bottle of alcohol and your mouth waters, like it does for chocolate cake, <laughs> you might have a problem. And I really count <laughs> Like literally, that's what I tell people. I I count my blessings because when I met my husband, I was at the height of my like party stage and, you know, everyone else, I was cute and I was fun. And, you know, I was always, you know, free flowing with the alcohol and money and all that. And they kind of like put up with it and it was cute, but he wouldn't, he would not put up with it. 
He did not think That's it was awesome. cute. I actually showed up at his house one time and I probably should not have been driving. And he he's like, how'd you get here? And I was like, I drove. And he was like, don't ever do that again. And he's like, he's like, I literally, I will break up with you. And that was like, oh, he's not going to put up with cute fun Sarah that drinks. And that was really a turning point for me. Like he really mellowed me out. Yeah. And so for me, it, like it just That's wasn't great. a thing anymore. But I mean, it, it's hard. I remember that, like, just constantly chasing that numbing. And that's now that I'm older and a little bit wiser, I realize that's exactly what I was doing. I used it to sleep. I used it to not feel the drama with my mom. I used it to deal with family crap. I used it to deal with death. I, you know, used it for, like, social reasons to, like, feel like part of the crowd. And it, it's, it just knows no boundaries. It, it's true. It's so embedded in not only like our culture, but like our mom culture for sure. And yeah. like, I mean, I have, I think like if, if it doesn't screw your life up, have at it. You know what yeah. I mean? No, like, and not in the same I way. Think, like, yeah. Yeah. Like I've talked yeah, to you about it. Crazy. I have friends that, that drink and, you know, and they still very much like the party. I will go meet them for like a mom's night out. I have one drink and that's it. Like I know that my one will turn that's into awesome. 10. Yeah. But see, I know that about myself and they're still, they like to go yep, do that. Yep. part, And I can't do that. I, I can't let myself go back there, but it, it's true. It's like, it's very embedded in some mommy culture. I remember going to an early on play date and it was probably like, I don't know. I want to say like, it was before nap time. And I think it was like 1130. And she was like, oh, do you want some wine like on ice? Cause it was like summer. And I was like, you drink wine with ice. So I was like, what? But I was like, oh, we, the kids are playing. Like, once I became a mom, I was like, yeah, no, like I can't do that. I can't drink with my kids. So for me falling into my, like the wine mom culture just was never going to be a thing. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, I mean, it's even still like, you know, you go to birthday parties, it's like a full bar, you know? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I, it's just like so funny to me. It like kind of blows my mind, but I'm also like, I mean, I get it. And I guess if I wasn't, I don't know what it's like to be anyone other than myself. And I, And if it was like one of those things where like, you know, I see people like they have a glass of wine or they have a cocktail and they're like, don't finish it. And I'm like, what do you like? That's alcohol abuse. <laughs> like, drink the drink. <laughs> like, drink another one. Like, what is happening? What, you're going to not finish that? Like, what? <laughs> so how okay. do you like, how do you um, navigate when you're in those social situations? Because like we were in, you know, we were at Alt Summit together and there was lots. I mean, there were people drinking. Um, how how do you yeah. like handle that? Like, do you just is it? A, I, I mean, mean, obviously, I it's a non-issue. But do you, like, bring it up? Yeah, I mean, I – well, no, I honestly feel very fortunate that, like, for me, like, part of my recovery had to be centered in not segregating myself from society, however, but, like, re-immersing into society in a different – showing up differently. So I can – I mean, I personally – I don't know what it's like for me. So I personally – I can go anywhere. Like, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily go – hang out of the bar by myself but if I was like gonna go see a band or meet a friend and have dinner you know, like I have no issue being around alcohol and um I find like there are little things that I do so that because sometimes most people don't notice most people don't care but there are people and it's usually who knows if it's somebody who's got like an issue with alcohol but I would imagine somebody who's hung up on you drinking or not drinking that says more about them than it does oh, about they, you know they so have their own issues I tend to like Right. So I tend to keep something when I'm in a setting like that, I have a drink in my hand, you know, whether it's like, um, like sparkling water and lime or a diet Coke. Like I like to have my own, it's not, I mean, it's not even a mocktail, but like, so that nobody even has to have that conversation with me. And if somebody offers a drink, I'm just saying, no, thank you. But like, I, I think because I, um, you know, I got sober 
that summer and then I was sober for a couple of years and I had relapsed and um, got sober again September 25th, 2009. That's my sobriety date. And so I, as crappy as like going through that relapse was and feeling the powerlessness, what happened was is I was able to like really see my alcoholism in like a much different way where I'm like, oh, like I can't pull this off. <laughs> like, and what I have in my life today um, maybe I could, but I know that I can't. And it's like not worth the risk at this point. You know what I mean? So knowing that to my core, that like, that I can't pull it off, that it doesn't work for me, that I'm, that like, alcoholism for me is a progressive disease where like we don't, we pick up where we left off. Like, it's just like, you know, it's not like you start from the beginning again. So there's like that saying, once a cucumber becomes a pickle, it's a pickle. You can't become a cucumber again. Yeah. So like, I'm a pickle. <laughs> and I know that. And so knowing that it, it, it's a lot, and also since deciding to get public and sharing more openly about my recovery, I feel less weird about it socially. I used to feel so like um, codependent about not making other people feel awkward, but now I'm just kind of like, it's not really that big of a deal. Like a lot of people don't drink, you know what I mean? Or people do, and it's like, who cares, you know? So, um I don't know if I answered the question, but basically, yes. Like <laughs> no, I, I feel like in the, in that setting, I don't feel the the more the older I get, the more um, like comfortable with my own recovery I get, the less I I don't really have to caretake for other people feeling comfortable, you know. Yeah, so you're not pressured then in those mommy situations at all. So then, how do you feel no. about the the you know? And we have issue with it obviously because the name of my business is Mom Culture, and there's been some negative press lately about um, you know mommy wine culture. Um, you know, we right, do right. not at all advocate that you get sauced. We do not advocate drunk mommyhood. We do not advocate getting drunk at play dates or anything like that. No, I don't get that at all from you guys. So, so, but we guys. obviously like see that the press and it, you know, with the way SEO and Google works, like we come up in those searches too. So it's like, Oh, how, how do you feel as a recovering, um, sober mom when you see those things like the mommy juice and stuff, like, how does it make you feel? I mean, honestly, I literally... I wish, sometimes, because people ask me this, I'm like, I wish I had a stronger opinion about it because I just, I don't really care. Like, I mean, I care if somebody's struggling, but I just feel like, you know, a lot of this stuff is marketing stuff. Like, I think, um, you know what, if I could have a glass of wine at the end of the day, I probably would, you know? You, but at the same time, it's important to understand you, you don't have to do that. Like, that isn't, I have a friend who um, talked about, I actually, uh, she, we had talked, she had said, like, when she got, became a mom, because she's also sober, and she's like, I just felt like there's this, like, for her, she's like, I felt like there's this motherhood tool that I don't get to have. Like, I'm, like, missing something from my toolkit, because you're supposed to be able to have this glass of wine. And I'm like, yeah, there are these days where I'm like, man, I would love to be able to pop a Xanax right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, I don't know that that's normal thinking either. But, um, like, <laughs> that's, I That's the addict in all of us. <laughs> Yeah, I think I just have like this really strong mentality of like, you do you, you do what works for you, and I'll do what works for me. And I'm like that kind of with a lot of the hot button topics. Like, I know there's a lot of debate over vaccination and um, schooling and homeschooling, all the things that people want to like argue about. And I guess I just feel like it's so silly because everything's subjective. Like, we're all doing the best that we can with what we have. We're all trying to be the best parent that we can be. So for me, showing up sober 
is very important <laughs> for the success of my family because I'm already freaking crazy. Like, can you even, I can't even imagine like me trying to navigate. I, I wouldn't show up. Like I don't show up to my life. Like there's, I always thought like, um, I would never be that mom who drinks and drives, but like I probably would be because yeah. like you don't have a choice if you're an alcoholic, you know, you just don't. So I just really feel like whatever works for people, I don't feel like personally offended by mommy wine culture at all. I also think it's like important for people to know that that's not um, mandatory for momming. You know, you don't have to have wine. Yeah, no. If you want to have wine, have you want? And that's how I feel. Like, you know, we really much lead that way in all of our marketing. We're very mindful of that, you know, and, um, you know, to each their own. And I believe that, that we all are doing the best that we can. Own your own motherhood, you know, as I say. And, you know, no judgment. And Um, it's like, and it's like, you're, you're a business. Like, you should have wine glasses because people will buy wine. (laughs) Like, I really feel like you're, you're running a business. Like, how could you? corner out that entire market I don't know I don't if somebody has a judgment about that I think it's really silly like personally I'm like it has nothing to like nothing anyone else does is personal to me like it's about like what works for that do you know what I mean no, you know? I, I try not to take other people yeah. I love having your perspective just because it's someone who is sober. Like, what is your take on it? Because I see the memes and all of that. And like, we've posted some, but I, I like when we develop our marketing, one thing I'm very mindful of is that we do not like, it cannot be pushing and it cannot be like in a self-medicating way at all. It's more of like, you know, at the end of the day, if I you want to pour a glass. So yeah. Yeah. No, I feel like your message is so much more about like, I, I associate your brand with race humans. That's like the first thing that pops into my head. It's much more about like intentional parenting than it is. And like giving yourself grace and like supporting other moms. Like I do not associate you with like a mommy wine culture company at all. Well, I appreciate but, that because that's not the message we're trying yeah, for at all. Nice. But we have, we've gotten some no, hate mail. No. I've gotten hate mail over it. Oh my God. I know. I got an angry. People need to chill. Oh no. I got like, we sent out one just introducing our mom culture wines, um, which is a partnership I did with my sister and something just we wanted to do as sisters. And oh. This one lady was not happy with me, and we were we were well, really lady cautious. Like of oh yeah, yeah, no, we, we were really cautious we were with our cautious, wording yeah. about you know, hey, this is the new the new thing we're doing, and this is what we're doing it for. It was really as a giftable item, yeah. you know. It's like, hey, you know, a new mom or celebrating something or whatever, and it was a hundred percent. And it's yeah. fun. It's like a um, novelty almost. And it's like yeah, like hey, did you also notice we sell coffee? Like, are you gonna come right. at me because of caffeine? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's exactly it. It was done as a giftable novelty. We offer one for teachers. We offer one that we kind of geared more towards like a mom's night in or a Galentine's event. It was not meant to, hey, mama, get sauce because you can't deal with your kid because no. No, I don't advocate that. So I, I love hearing your perspective on it because it's something I'm very mindful of yeah. and how we word our marketing and, and what we choose to do. Um, you know, And it was like recently the Heidi Montag um, article that like, uh, we work with a small PR firm to help us with some branding stuff. And they were like, uh, this came up on our radar and we don't know Wait, how to what help you. With Heidi Montag? I missed that. What <sighs> oh, girl, Heidi caused some drama. <laughs> so I love Heidi. For you? Um, not me, but it, it came back around because again, the wording of mom culture and mo- or wine mom culture. And because it bings huh. up on SEO and Google, it kind of does affect us. So she did like a photo oh, shoot. You need to see it. She like did a photo shoot drinking from a very large, obnoxious champagne bottle. <laughs> and her kid was present. Oh. And it just, the trolls came out. And then all these articles. But they use the keywords 
you know, mommy wine culture. And yeah, it comes back to bite Got it. my Got little it. brand okay. and the booty. So yeah, it, it's been fun. <laughs> You're like, that wasn't us. We weren't even, we don't even know Heidi. I, I, I <laughs> right? wanna, well, actually, I kind of do know Heidi, but like not really. Oh. She has one of my collaboration shirts um, that she was gifted by Loved by Hannah oh, and cool. Eli. So I'm like, I feel there's like a, a six degrees to Kevin Bacon with Heidi Montauk. Like we could be friends, but yeah, no. Like, well, and I, you I know what's know so funny? I watched the um, Hills reboot and I actually really enjoyed her. Because, you know, in the original Hills, I'm sure a lot of it was scripted. They were meant to be villainous, but like, Spencer did a full 180. I was like, you won me over. No, Either. I'm with you. I'm I'm team people. Pratt Daddy. Yeah. I am team Pratt Daddy all the way. <laughs> I want Pratt some of his Daddy. I want some of his crystals. <laughs> I think they're great. But yeah, it's, I know. I know. It's crazy that one photo again, a square, and something she probably just was like having fun with has turned into like, I mean, even for her, I can't even imagine. So hearing your take yeah, on the yeah. the wine mom culture really makes me feel a lot better. So I do have to ask you, um, just because I've been honest, my kids are quite a bit older than yours, but how are you going to approach talking to your kids about um, being sober or addiction just now that you're on the other side of it? Like, is that something you're going to bring up with them? Yeah. I mean, in my home, in our home, it's always been very, very, very important for me to have like an extremely open door policy only because growing up. Um, I just feel like we didn't talk about things. And so what happened was, um, and at no fault to my parents, because they're from a different generation, they, we were always told we were loved, like great people. However, I think it was so awkward and uncomfortable. We just didn't talk about things. And, and, and then I was left to like create, draw my own conclusions about adult topics, you know, which were based off of like, like 16 candles and like movies like that, you know? And so I, I really, it's very important in my home that we, um, the kids know, my daughters know, like, nothing's off limits. So, we also tend to, like, let it be kid-led and an age-appropriate. So, like, with my oldest is eight, we've had very um, surface conversations. Like, one time I took her out on, like, a mommy and me date. And we went to this local pizza place called Pizza Port. And there's a big, you know, there's a bar. And she's like, what is all that stuff? It was the taps. And I was like, oh, those are grown-up drinks. And she, and I was like, she's like, why are they grown-up drinks? I'm like, oh, they can make you feel funny. I'm like, I don't drink. You know, we've, we've started a little bit of dialogue around it. Um, and she was like, well, I don't ever want to drink that if it makes you feel funny. You know what I mean? Just very, like, innocent response. And a great response for that age. But I do plan to be open I mean my husband's sober as well he's in recovery as well which is you know it's a, it's great but also it's a little scary with like our genetics you know so oh, no. I think I get it we will both be like age appropriately honest and I plan to um I want to educate my kids so that they know I don't want them to I mean who knows maybe they won't have that gene you know but if they do that they know um, they, they're educated about it. Not that education can stop you from exploring. Um, maybe, I don't know, some people don't have, there are people out there who know that they have family members who are addicts and alcoholics and they never drink. You know, I don't know that that's realistic, but we'll see. So I just plan to be as honest as I can be with my daughters and um, answer the questions as they come up. I don't want to put ideas in their head, you know, but at this point of the game, there's been some discussion around like, oh, mommy and daddy don't really drink grown-up drinks, you know? 
but she hasn't pushed further than that. So as she asks more and more, more will be revealed. You know, no, I do the same with my kids. You know, I, we talk about addiction. My 10 year old actually had a pretty severe video game addiction last year and he actually went to therapy for uh, it. And so and I've had the conversation with him about genetics and that, you know, you come from two families that, you know, have some, you know, obsessive things, you know, they like to do things in, you know, an obsessive way and, you know, addiction. And so we've started it. And, you know, with um, my mom's mental health, um, I've had to be very open with my kids too. So I'm the same way. I, yeah, I take it age appropriate. You know, when my daughter was little and asked me about my mom, I handled it one way. Now that she's a teenager, we have a little bit more information. So same way. Yeah. Just handle things and they handle more information. Yeah. And they know like, um, you know, and they're like, did you ever do drugs or alcohol? And I'm like, well, I didn't do drugs, but yeah, I drank when I was young and I talked to them about regretting it and, you know, making smart decisions. So same thing as they're getting older, the dialogue is, is changing, but I just plan on leading with as much honesty and information as I can. So one of my last questions, I do think it's like, Oh, oh, go ahead. (laughs) No, I, I do. I do think it's like super. I What I love about our generation of like parenting is that there is so many more open conversations happening. I think even like even if you look at social media, like the conversations we're having now were not had like 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And our parents just came from such a different time and generation. And they were they were doing the best they could is what they were taught. But now we're at this like, I feel like a lot of us are like awakening and like understanding like you know we love Brene Brown talking about the power of vulnerability and like um what I you know one of the great things that I've taken away from you know being in recovery even when I look back on like going into treatment like the most powerful aside from like the personal work that we did like the most powerful thing I experienced in rehab was the power of relating when you're telling your darkest worst stories that you would never share with another soul and you're all laughing because you can all relate and you're like oh yeah I did that and you're like I would this was like something I would have taken to the grave but now I'm sharing it with you and you have a commonality with me and it's taken all the power out of it like we're only as thick as our secrets you know what I mean so I do see a lot of like this open door parenting and I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> no, I'm here for it too. I agree with you so much because even conversations when I had my daughter, she's going to be 13, like 13 years ago, like into my start Ooh, of motherhood, it's so yeah. different than what it, you know, it was, um, then like people didn't talk about like postpartum and, you know, all these conversations that we're having now, it's a whole game changer. And I'm, I'm definitely here for it because I think that, um, there's so much in that honesty and, um, you yeah, know, being vulnerable and your kids seeing that, you know, um, I, I taught my daughter's Girl Scouts about self-care. And I said, as I was teaching the class with these, you know, nine little Girl Scouts, I was like, damn, I wish someone had talked to me about taking care of myself at 11 and 12 years old, because I'm like, maybe I wouldn't be so wore out now, but it wasn't, these things weren't talk, talk, you know, to us and our parents didn't, you know, talk to us about their emotions and their struggles so much. So I, I'm with you. I'm here for it too. Yeah. So, it's incredible. Like, it's incredible to know. Yeah. No, anyway. <laughs> we could just keep chatting. Um, so one we last question I do have, though, is what advice would you give a mom that's maybe struggling and maybe is on the cusp of knowing maybe she's got a, a problem and needs to make some changes? Like, what would you what would you say? Uh, it's always this like makes me emotional because I just think about that feeling when you're um, feeling like you're 
you know what you're doing isn't working for you, but you don't know how to stop doing it. And that is, it's a horrible place to be. And it's also a gift because you are then hopefully granted the gift of desperation where you're just like, um, become willing, you know, to do something different. And I guess the advice, I mean, or what I would want to say to somebody struggling is, first of all, there is a solution and there is a way, um, you're not stuck, um, even if it feels like you are. Like, this is not the end of the story. So I would say most importantly is, like, you got to get honest with somebody. Some, I don't care if it's your doctor. I don't care if you want to go find, like, at, there's local 12-step meetings. They're all free. You can go anywhere. Go by yourself. Go with a friend. I feel like almost everybody knows somebody in recovery. Like, maybe reach out to someone like that. But I think the very first step is, like, just acknowledging that something is not working. Maybe you're not an alcoholic, but maybe that something isn't working, right? Something is not working. And um, so you don't have to live that way anymore if you don't want to. And I think um, reaching, I mean, I can only share what's worked for me. So reaching out and um, if you're not a person who thinks they need to go to rehab or can afford to go to rehab or can leave your life, I will say that like, um, 12 step recovery saved my life and I'm not an advocate and I'm not like I don't I um, it's I just can only share my own experience and I can say that like you know check out a meeting check out a couple of meetings um, connect with somebody share your truth with somebody um, you know take it one day at a time one minute at a time stay accountable to somebody you can message me on Instagram DM me oh, I, I love will be that. supportive too I'm just Sarah well too like yeah like really the, the power we, we don't have to do it alone and, and we are not meant to do it alone no. you know what I mean so I could never have gotten myself sober I just couldn't I had to have people I had to have like develop a spiritual connection with something that I believe in I had a very um like the idea that I had like my spiritual connection is very important to me and it's not maybe not your belief system, but it works for me. And like for a really long time, I had this belief that like whatever was up there, whatever is out there was like, you know, punishing, was going to like come and pull the rug from under my feet when things were going well. And how are you supposed to rely on that? You cannot rely on something that is punishing. So I had to really go through that relapse experience, that gift of desperation. And, um, and then when I started staying sober, I realized like, oh, like something else is at work here and whatever it is cannot be punishing if I'm staying sober because left to my own devices, I don't stay sober. So I think it's really this combination of like being willing to reach out, ask for help, um, take some direction, rely on the support of others, rely on whatever you believe in and, and really like just stay in today, you know, like what can you do today that will keep you where you want to be I don't know it's, I, I think if you look at the whole thing and you think about forever and you think about however long you maybe you maybe you want to do 30 days I don't know but like I really think looking at the whole thing is very overwhelming so it's very important especially early on to just be like okay like just for today I'm gonna like not drink today you know what I mean and and what can I do to like support that I can go to the gym I can call somebody I can you know go to bed early whatever it is that you need to do to protect yourself but yeah, start small and, and baby like steps. It. It's good advice. And give yourself grace because here's the thing is like sometimes like recovery is not linear. It's, it's two steps forward, one step back sometimes. Sometimes we, we fall, we relapse. Like 
that doesn't mean it's the end of the story. It just means, okay, like, where can I, like, where did I misstep and what can I do differently this time, you know? You know, one thing we hear a lot is burden um, in our mom's group on Facebook is that they feel like they're burdening. And I feel like that that's something that, you know, I, we all feel, but we need to get over it because, you know, you're not burdening anybody and you should be able to talk to someone. And maybe if you can't talk to, you know, this person, that wasn't your person. So just reaching out and, you know. Well, you know, what's really burdening is when, if you end up dead or in jail, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's way more of a burden than. I feel like people, and I get that because I, I, I struggle with, or I, I have struggled with like depression and anxiety. And when I'm in a depression, like when I get into that space, the phone feels like a million pounds. I feel like I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I don't want to bother people, but like, it's really my lifeline. Like to be able to even shoot someone a text who I trust, maybe I know also struggles with that stuff and say, Hey, like I'm not doing well. Or like, I, I, like I feel really down or, um, Hey to say hey start a conversation you know but it's it's um that's part of I think that's part of the like obsessive thinking the self-centered thinking is that we're like this great big burden and it's like really no and also when you get to be helpful to somebody else it's a gift you know what I mean so really you're like allowing somebody else to be of service is um, makes them feel good about themselves. So really, it's like the opposite of a burden. No, I agree with you. I, I love getting to help, you know, women when I can. It it fills up my personal love tank, which is very therapeutic right. for me. You feel useful. Yeah, no, really. Yeah. It really do. And I think people just, I think we're always too much into our own head, especially when we're dealing with some demons like addiction or, you know, maybe depression and anxiety and yeah. I, you know, I think if you let it out, you know, and you know, you don't need a ton of friends. That's what I tell people. You just need one, one person, one good friend that will listen to you and, right. you know, hear you and be there. Truth. Yeah. So I advocate that, you know, yes. and a hundred percent. I do feel like when I'm going through like really hard things, the one thing that carries me through is knowing that at some point this will be useful to somebody else. At some point when I get through this and get onto the other side, someone else will go through this. And I will be able to be like, I've been there. I know what you're feeling and it will get better. You know what I mean? Like there's a solution. There's another side. There's the other side to this. I think we, for me, like the, the alcoholic thinking for me is this like huge resistance to feeling discomfort where I feel like it's always going to be this way. And that's why I drank. It's because I was like, I, no, I do not want to feel like this. Like let me not feel like this right now, you know? And just knowing that, like, sometimes we have to feel discomfort and then it passes. Like, good feelings pass, bad feelings pass, everything passes. Oh, it does. I, I read this pennant the other day, and I think I'm going to buy it. It says, turn your wounds into wisdom. And that resonated with me Ooh, so. I, it gave me chills when I read it, and I actually sent it to my sister and to my brother. And I was like, I'm going to buy these for us. But I loved it because it's so true, you know. Sometimes, um, yeah. you know, the most broken people have the kindest hearts and can share something and, um, you know, help another human person and connect. Well, and that's how you take your power back. It's like I, um, I did this, I did this personal development, um, like, uh, thing. I don't know if you ever heard of Landmark Worldwide, but it's like I did this thing several years ago, and it was all about how, um, if we choose, like, the things that we feel like a victim to, like. Like, I didn't choose my alcoholism. However, I can now choose my alcoholism so that I can choose recovery. You know what I mean? Like, I take the power back in it by saying, like, so I choose my alcoholism so that I can choose recovery so that I can choose, like, help others, you know? And that is much more empowering than being, like, 
why did this happen to me? You know, there's no power in playing and being a victim. You know what I mean? To our circumstances. We get to like reclaim it. No, I, I love it. Hopefully. You've got so much positivity to share with the world. And I'm so thankful you decided oh. to come on our podcast and talk about this topic because yeah. I couldn't think about doing it with anyone else other than you. I just love the way that you open up Aww. and share. And um, you definitely have me feeling a lot better about the wine mom culture debacle, I will say. So in closing, we like to yeah, ask... Yeah. We like to ask our guests uh, three questions. Um, one you kind of already answered, so okay. I might pass it. So this one is, um, okay. tell us something surprising about yourself. Um, I once auditioned for The Voice. <gasps> Wait, what? <laughs> you just got Julie's interest piqued. <laughs> I know, but I didn't make it like through because I was completely unprepared, but I went and showed up by myself and it was literally one of the best days of my life. Wait. And okay. Julie, you should go do it. It's I, no, I've yeah, already done it. Did. I have my own story about that. But um, no, it's amazing. Did you but, not have the best time? No, it's so fun. It was like an all day event. It's and so I was fun. like, not sure what to expect. And you're, you're locked just, in this room and you're like, no right. cell phones. You can't talk. You can't have pictures. Was everybody singing? Everybody was singing like group sing-alongs. Like it was. No, yours sounds way more fun than mine. <laughs> I, oh, I, I cannot believe I you tried group. out for the voice. Yeah, oh wait, let's God. go back to you. So do you sing? I didn't even know that. I do. I grew up, so my mom's a musician. Um, oh my gosh. I, it's so, yes, I sing, but I don't, I have, like, I have a sing karaoke, you know what I mean? But like, <laughs> I do have like, like this like feeling that someday, like I would like to come back as like a rock star someday. <laughs> oh my no, gosh. No, I've never sang in like a band, but I did like, you know, concert choir in high school and all that type of stuff. But I, I do, I love to sing. I don't know. I mean, I can carry a tune. I don't know how, I'm not a Julie, but oh. I, I, you know, I, I enjoy it. I sing really loud in the car. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Okay, well, next and time we get together, pardon? we're going to sing. <laughs> Kara- karaoke is going to okay, happen. karaoke. Yes. <laughs> karaoke is going to happen in the desert. We're having a Palm oh, Springs yes. reunion where we get lost Wait, to show up for a party. Should... <laughs> yes. Yeah, we can do karaoke at Mom 2.0. We can find a bar or like a rest- or a place that has it. Okay, we well, I'm going to have to fly Julie tomorrow. back then. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a trip for that <laughs> okay. for sure. Okay. She'll make a trip for that. If, if, if Emily yeah. McAllister yeah. does karaoke, <laughs> Julie is coming back from Arizona. And for everyone listening, we're going to have to do like an Instagram live when that happens. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. Yeah. All right, well, question two. Uh, you've amazing. kind of already answered this one, but what is one piece of advice you would give your fellow mama kind now that you're a seasoned mama? I mean, really, the first thing that pops into my mind is don't compare your insides to somebody else's outside because you really don't know what somebody's going through or walking through or has been through. Um, and, and give yourself grace because you're, you're going to screw up. And then, and with that grace, I have found one of the most um, important tools is when I lose my temper or when I screw up, I apologize. I want my children to know that we take ownership for our shortcomings and for our mistakes. Also, I'm not perfect, and I want them to know how to apologize. And so I do a lot of apologizing throughout the day because I um, – I'm pretty hot headed. <laughs> That's a really good nugget of uh, of share right there. I like that. We'll uh, we'll definitely use yeah. that one. Okay. And then lastly, tell okay. our mom culture followers that don't already follow you where they can find you. Oh, I love that. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Chasing McAllister. Um, and that's also the name of my blog. And I also, if you go to my Instagram on Chasing McAllister's, you can be linked to like my Facebook and um, everything, you know, that's kind of the hub. So 
visit me there, find me there, follow, DM me. I love talking to people. I love connecting. I, um, I'm pretty candid in my stories and, um, yeah. I would love to connect with you. Your stories are amazing. And she really will. She's an actual human that will answer you. I remember like the first time I messaged <laughs> you, I was like, oh, she answered me. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> so no, of course. Yeah. seriously, that, I think that's amazing. You're like amazing the way you connect with people. So if you're a mama Thank that's you. needing some help and you want to maybe chat sobriety or motherhood, um, Emily is your girl. Yeah, anything. I mean, we could talk about sports. I don't care. Okay, I can't talk about sports. I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing about sports. I, I like sports. <laughs> well, I'm thank a little you. Bit of a tomboy. <laughs> uh, you are. I'm a tomboy too that knows nothing about sports. My brother just tortured me with like that's making amazing. me like catch stuff, but I actually know nothing about rules or anything. But that's a whole other topic. Maybe we'll talk about sports next that's time. Another, another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Emily, for joining us and uh, sharing your journey and your story with my mom culture uh, listeners. And um, I hope to have you on again, because it seems like we have lots to catch up with, especially how you yeah, tried out for the voice. <laughs> Thanks, that girl. Was, I mean, there's so many things, but that's like the thing that popped into my head. So yeah. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> I Like, I love that. I, I wrote a blog post about it. Yeah. All right. Julie and I will have to compare notes. Yes. We're, we're gonna link we're gonna link that into our show notes so we can all learn For about sure. your your voice. Oh, <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Emily. Oh my god. Thanks, guys. <laughs>